is good? I said, God is good. Oh, come on. You better act like you know. Don't trip on me today. Y'all been excited all week long. God is good. Yes, and all the time, God is good. Amen? Uh, we're excited about getting into the word today. And we have not, uh, understand, understand, for those of you who have not had a chance, the privilege of coming out, understand, God is doing something incredible in this church. To the extent that, and I got to just tag off that video just a little bit. Uh, a good friend of mine, just to give you some background, I was at Oakwood College with him. When he was at Oakwood, he decided he wanted to go to the Army, particularly. Julian always talked about being a Navy SEAL or being a Green Beret or something in Special Forces. And both he and his brother uh, are in Special Forces. And since he has been out there, one of the things he said is the fight that he has been having of his life has not been the war against Al-Qaeda. But the fight that he has been having is a personal battle. And he has struggled with with his faith. And I thank God that because of the ministry of this church, he got online when he got home and heard the word of God from this church. And he was convicted to change his life. Would you say amen? amen. So put your hands together and give God praise. We have folk who are being blessed by the fight of our life and they're not even in Cleveland. Come on, say amen, somebody. So how about us folk who are in Cleveland? Come on, say amen. You ought to be out here on Sunday night and on Tuesday night and on Thursday. Can I get a witness out there? <laughs> I can't hear nobody talk to me today. You know, you know, every boxer, uh, especially in recent times and even in the old days, uh, they will they will listen to music to get them pumped before a fight. Uh, you'll see them sometimes in the background. They got headphones on. Then when it's time for them to come out and, they, and they've got their robe on and, they, and, they, and they're getting pumped in their pride and they got their crew around them pumping them up, telling them, can't nobody whoop you. You know, there's something about hearing that you better that you better than you are. Come on, say amen. Even when folk fought Mike Tyson, folk would tell him, man, you can whoop Tyson. Go out there. 60 seconds later. Come on, say amen. <laughs> that thing is over. But, but, but you know, I, I, I listen to some stuff every now and then uh, to get me hyped uh, to go out and preach. And, and you know what I was listening to yesterday? I was listening to C.D. Brooks. And, and <laughs> it wasn't music, but it ain't nothing like that old evangelism. Come on, say amen. When the word of God was preached straight. Come on, say amen, somebody. And I believe some of y'all know who C.D. Brooks is. And <laughs> some of y'all came in under C.D. Brooks. And I just thank the Lord for inspiration. And I want to... Make that transition. Today, I, I need to pay honor to uh, the, uh, the man that uh, <laughs> had the, the guts either in infamy or, <laughs> or, with, great, or, or with great accolade. Uh, but anyway, Pastor Joe McCoy, who was the conference president that hired me, decided he was going to come in town today. And man, this guy's like my daddy, man. I'm just, Stan Elder McCoy. Stan Elder McCoy. God bless you, man. Praise God for him. He took, he took a chance on, on me, saints. Come on, say amen. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here today. Come on, say amen. So we thank God for him. And Elder, if you don't mind, at the end of this, I just want to invite you up just to say just a few words. And he kind of helped me get this idea that the church exists for mission. We just don't exist to show up on Sabbath at church and have a good time. But in fact, this fight that we're in right now, brothers and sisters, man, this is the only reason why we're here. It's the only reason why we're here to do this thing. And so by the grace of God, we're going to do it and we're going to do it with all of our might. Amen? Amen. Let's dim these lights just a little bit because the screen is going to need to be seen. Just uh, take out a few for me so that I can uh, do the best I can to help you. Let's review just a little bit for those who have not come. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians and uh, verse 10, verse 3, the Bible read with me. The Bible says, for though we live in the what? Now give me some light. Y'all, 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 take, take one. Those spots. Have not, how about that? Go out there and give me those spotlights. Uh-uh, not, not, not those, my sister. Not those. Go out there and give me those spotlights right there. And you probably can give me those right there as well. So somebody who's up there, uh, move uh, with, with haste. Amen? Second Corinthians 10 and uh, verse 3. Let's try that again. We want to make sure we're ready. Amen? Ah, right, there we go. That's what I'm talking about. The Bible says, for though we live in the world, we do not, come on now, we do not uh, wage war as the world does. Amen? The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Let the church say amen. amen. Listen, that's why I told y'all, you can't be out cussing folk out at church, uh, at, at church and at work. Come on, say amen. Uh, now, we, when we cuss folk out at church, we do it in Jesus' name. We just don't use the words. Uh, but we cannot hold grudges against one another. Come on, say amen, somebody. We can't cut the fool. We're different. We don't fight like the world fights. Come on, say Amen. 
reading a story the other day my wife shared with me of a 13-year-old boy, not right, honey, 14 years old, uh, in Detroit, you've heard it, was mad at his mom because she wouldn't let him join a game. And so he took a gun and blew her brains out, shot her 10 times. Don't tell me we're not in a fight. This ain't no joke. These decorations and all this stuff we're doing is not for fanfare. We don't fight like the world fights. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons on the world. The Bible says, on the contrary, they have what kind of power, everybody? They've got divine power. How many know that God's got power? And notice what the Bible says. They've got divine power to demolish strongholds. I thank God for the testimony. That, that brother said, strongholds are being taken down in my life. See, I, I can bear witness to that. Anybody out there had any strongholds demolished by the Holy yeah. Ghost? Yeah. And the Bible says, now watch this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against, here it is, the knowledge of what, everybody? So the fight is a fight for your mind. There is, a, there is an insidious war to get in your head. And I want to talk about that today. That's why the Bible says, and we take captive. How many thoughts, everybody? Oh, help me, Jesus. How many did I say everybody? How many know that God got to take every thought? Come on in here. The Bible says, we read in Genesis, that every thought of man was evil continually. And we know that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. And I, let's just be honest. Let's not talk about the world, but many of us are fighting for our minds. Come on in here, somebody. That's right. That's right. The Bible says we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Praise the Lord. Now, 1 Timothy, just trying to give you some idea of what fight we're talking about. The Bible says that here's the fight. Now, let's get this clear. God ain't never called you to fight the devil. Matter of fact, the sooner you learn to stop trying to fight him, come on, say amen, somebody. By the way, let me just throw this out here. Uh, he ain't the one you should be fighting anyway. That's God's job. Come on, say amen. Your greatest battle is against yourself. The devil made me do it as a lie. Come on, say amen. Even if there was no Satan, you would still be tempted to sin. That's right. That's right. That's right. Did you know that? And so we don't even really need the devil to cause us to do evil. But on top of your raunchy self, you got a devil too. How many know you need the Lord? Come on, say amen. That's why the word of God tells us what kind of fight it is. Read that, everybody. Fight the good fight of what? Of what? The fight. Oh, help me, God, to explain this with clarity today. There, this is a fight for your faith. Everything in the Bible that has to do with anything, anything significant, stay here, stay here, has to do with your faith. That's right. That's right. Not with your knowledge, That's right. but your faith. You can have a lot of knowledge, but no faith. The issue in the last days is will, there, will God find any faith in the earth? Where's our faith? And I don't know about you, let me just hang here for a minute. Daily, I am constantly assailed with discouraging thoughts. Anybody that's trying to do anything positive or anything significant for the kingdom of God, you are constantly assailed with discouragement. You're constantly hearing voices that you can't. It's going to fail. It's not going to work out. There is always a distraction. I read somewhere in uh, councils, uh, uh, to, to gospel workers and ministers, testimonies, gospel workers and ministers, page 472 says, Satan's number one desire is to cause distraction and division. And he seeks to discourage us by distracting us with things that don't mistreat your faith. You're fighting every day to believe. You're fighting every day to hold on. Come on in here. It's a fight of our faith, amen? So I want to talk about keep your head. Seven laws of the mind. I don't know if you've received it at this time, but I want you to, I want you to get a little handout. Ushers, do you have those at this time? Everyone lift your hands. I want to put something in your hand here because I want you to know this information. I want you to take it back and study it. Somebody said, if it's not in the word, it doesn't need to be heard. Come on, say amen. And one of the problems is we take for granted that the preacher knows everything and whatever he says is law. Go on home and study for yourself. Come on, say amen. Get out your Bible. Dust that thing off. Come on, somebody. 
And so what this is here is just a, a study guide to go along and you will fill in the blanks when we come to the section on the seven laws of the mind. How many laws are there, everybody? Now, we know that the enemy is declaring war against our minds. This is a battle for our thoughts. Your loyalty and worship to God is not an external thing. It's internal. Somebody shout, it's internal. As you're getting those little handouts. Somebody shout, it's internal. It is a fight for your mind. Everybody, if you can, if you've got a hat on, then just pretend. If you've got, you got the wrong kind of hairstyle, then just work with us. But everybody put your hand on your head like this. Lay hands on yourself. And say, God, live in my mind. Oh, say, God, take control of my thoughts. Fill my mind. It's a fight for our minds, brothers and sisters. So I want to share with you from Scripture seven laws of the mind. And I want to show you why God's law is so important to where we're going. Amen? Amen. How many need a handout? How many need one? And all you're going to do, you're just going to stick with me. You're going to fill this out. Amen? Let me tell you why this is important, man. When I was in school, you ran out? All right, it's all right. I got handouts for you. We won't make any more copies. For those of you who ran out, that means you've got to pay extra special attention. As a matter of fact, what you can do is you can take out your bulletin. And you can write on the back of that thing. Come on, say amen. amen. You can take that iPad out. Come on, somebody. Take notes on that. Take your phone out. Don't text or tweet uh, unless you're inviting them to church. Come on, say amen. But it's too late now. And uh, just, just figure out a way. Write their notes down. They're simple enough where you can do it. For those of you who can follow along, so be it. I'm glad to know we ran out. That means we had more than we planned for. Come on, say amen. amen. Seven laws of the mind. Now, do you agree? Do you agree with me this morning? Based on what we saw about the work of the enemy. Matter of fact, the Bible says there was war in heaven. Amen? Amen. And the word for war that was used in the Greek is the word polemics. It is a term used for arguing. As a matter of fact, it's the same term that we use for politics. When people are, are doing politics, or as we have seen in our country right now, and even in our state and city, people are arguing ideas. They're arguing a platform. The war that was in heaven was a war over an idea. And the idea was this. Is God a God of love? Amen. Satan hates God's love. God's love is represented in his law. Therefore, Satan hates God's law or anything that resembles the love of God. One of the things I told you is the reason why Satan hates you is because you remind him of God. Somebody ought to said amen in there. As ugly as you think you are, as you think you are, you're made in the image of God. Oh, come on in here, somebody. What do I got to do to get an amen in this place today? You are made in the image of God, and it's really not about you, but Satan is mad at God, and he's a lame duck. The Bible says he knows he's got a short time. Come on in here, somebody. John 5, I want to begin here today. John chapter 5, I believe this passage of scripture will reveal to us some strategies on how we might be able to keep our heads. I first want to tell you a story, and I told this the other night. You know, I, I try to be a basketball player. Come on, say amen. Come on, say amen. Come on, pray for the pastor. I'm trying. By the way, the other day when I went out to play with the fellas, I dislocated my toe. And right after that, I, I had James Whitehead to pull it back into place. And I hopped back out on the court and scored 30 more points. And then I woke up. Come on, say. And then I woke up. I realized I was dreaming. Come on, say. But I like basketball. And one of the things that my father tried to instill with me, you've heard this before. My father tried to instill within me learning to play ball. My father's a much better ball player than I am. My father would tell me that basketball is a mental game. All you young folk out there that think you're athletes and because you can jump higher than everybody else, I'm telling you, watch out for an old man that's been playing for a long time. This of uh, sports, fighting, these are, these are mental wars that are to be battled. And one of the things my father told me is he said, you must understand fundamentals. Somebody say fundamentals. He said, man, you can try all the fancy stuff you want. I wanted to put it between my legs and behind my back. And I, I wanted to be like magic. I wanted to skip the fundamentals to be fancy. And I told you the story. I don't mind humiliating myself again today. But I was playing the game. And, and it was a church league game. And, 
And bless your heart, uh, my little girlfriend was in the stands and friends from church were in the stands and I was a showboater. I wanted people to see that I had skills. But my father told me, he said, you need to learn fundamentals, son. You need to learn fundamentals. Somebody shout fundamentals for the pastor. And so as I began to try to do my thing, I got a wide open fast break and there was nobody standing in between me and the basket. Come on in here, somebody. And so visions of grandeur began to fill my mind. I didn't know whether I should take off from the free throw line or uh, what I was going to do, but I knew that this was my moment. Oh, bless your heart. I got a wince at my little girlfriend in the stands and, and she had a look of expectancy on her face. My man is about to do his thing. And so nobody is guarding me and I put it between my legs. I mean, what do you do that for? For those of you who know basketball, why, why is he doing that? And, and then as I approached the basket, the, the thought filled my mind. I saw Dominique Wilkins from the Atlanta Hawks do a 360 dunk. Now, I, can't, I couldn't dunk at that time, but I said, at least can attempt this 360 and get the crowd on their feet. And so as I approached the basket and, and I crossed over, nobody there, <laughs> nobody guarding me. Come on in here, somebody. I, I, I leaped and, and, and I closed my eyes. And with poetic movement, I spun in midair. Switched hands. Come on, say amen, somebody. And as I got closer to the basket, I had not realized that I was under the basket. And I missed not only the shot, I missed the backboard. I missed everything. That's the only thing I remember is the ref said, ball going this way. And my dad, uh, bless his heart, stepped on, the, stepped on the court. What did he say, everybody? He said, keep your head. Look at your neighbor. And tell them, keep your head. It all starts right here. John 5, 1 through 8 says, After this there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in where everybody? Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew, Bethesda, having how many porches, everybody? Five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind and lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For the rumor was that an angel went down at certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease they had. So it was a, a sport for sick people. Whoever could get in first was the winner. But if you were so unlucky to be the sickest person there, you would never get in. And so they were waiting on something that would never happen. Oh, I'm talking to somebody in there. The Bible says now a certain man, somebody shout a certain man was there who had an infirmity. And the Bible says his infirmity lasted for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, something good is about to happen, come on in here now, and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, watch the question now, I'm talking about your head. Do you want to be made well. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man <laughs> to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. How many know that the Lord didn't ask him, did he have any man? He said, Do you want to get well? Come on in here, some. Oh, God, help me to preach this thing today. But while I am coming, he keeps talking. He says, Another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, now, now Jesus has, a, has an indelible way of just cutting to the chase. Yeah. He just ignored everything the brother said. 
He said, do you want to get well? The man gave up all kind of excuses. Lord, teach this thing today. All kind of excuses of why he couldn't. His family history, all the stuff he had been through, molestation, abuse, father left him, was abandoned. He's a Baptist. I go to the word church. I can't do this. I can't follow the law. I don't, I never heard this before. All kind of excuses. And notice what Jesus did. Jesus always ignores excuses. We do not serve a God of excuses. To make excuses is to excuse the power of God. Jesus said, Lord have mercy. Rise up. <laughs> Take up, the word of God says, take up your bed and do what, everybody? And the Bible says, now watch this now, and immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. Amen? Amen. Bible says in verse 14, go on down there now. Now, now watch this, y'all. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, come on, somebody say it's all in your head. Lord, have mercy. He says, he says, see, you have been made well. He says, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Recently, I saw a study on television called the placebo effect. You've heard of this, haven't you? For those of you who haven't, the placebo effect is defined like this. A placebo, as used in research, is an inactive substance or procedure used as a control or an experiment in an experiment. The placebo effect is the measurable, I'm going to break it down, observable, stay with me though, or felt improvement in health, not attributable to an actual treatment. Let me explain what a placebo effect is. Basically, what researchers have discovered is that a placebo, which in many cases is a pill, a lotion, or some kind of medicinal uh, uh, treatment that has, no, that has no healing value inside of it. For, for example, in most cases, a placebo is a sugar pill that they give to people even in the cases of depression and cancer. And so the person does not know that this is not real medicine. They think that it's real medicine. And all the studies are showing that placebos are just as effective in healing as real medicine. Oh, y'all missed that in here. They have even gone so far to discover that the larger the placebo pill is, it actually has connection with healing value. In other words, if somebody sees a larger pill, they think that the larger pill has more power in it, even though it ain't nothing but a sugar pill. And they actually get healed because they think that it has more value. The other thing they discovered is that if you put a name brand, Pfizer, Kaiser Permanente, Bayer, Advil, if you put that name on, good thing I didn't say Viagra, come on, say amen to somebody. Help them, Lord. Somebody was waiting for me to go there. Somebody says, all in your head. Lord, have mercy. They said that the name, the name on the pill actually made people have more confidence that the pill would work. What are they finding out? That healing and change in a person's life is not necessarily attributed to a medicine, but it is more attributed to a belief that I will be healed. People that believe that it's working. They even have done studies based on the racial profiling of doctors. I ain't going to get into that today. And they will believe in more in one doctor than they'll believe in the other. And based in their belief system, based in their trust 
that they're being taken care of based in, upon positive reinforcement and that they're getting the best care, that they went to Cleveland Clinic, they start believing, even though they had horrible treatment and even a placebo, studies are showing that they will get healed just as much as a person who takes the medicine. The point is, is that our healing, that our deliverance, our change in our lives has more to do with our belief than it has to do with the medicine. Somebody shout, it's all in your head. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, for as a man thinketh in his where, everybody? In his heart, so is he. So let's break this down. Thoughts, somebody shout thoughts, determine feelings. Feelings determine behavior. And behavior will determine habits and habits form character. Come on, let's do that one more time. Somebody shout thoughts, determine feelings. And feelings determine behavior. And behavior will influence habits and habits form character. So understand now, Satan realizing this is not so much concerned like church folk are. Church folk are always concerned about what somebody's wearing, where somebody's going, what somebody's doing. They base their assessment on where somebody is based upon what they can see. But see, Satan is smarter than that. Satan ain't concerned so much about what you do because Satan knows if you think a certain way, you will do a certain way. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what is the pastor saying today? That Satan's number one battlefield ground in the minds of human beings is our thoughts. If I can control their thoughts, I can tell you how they're going to live. And so many of us are bombarded with guilt. That's what consumes our thoughts. Many of us are bombarded with worry. Do you know it's a sin to worry? You're going to come tell me it's a sin not to uh, keep the Sabbath holy. But I guess what? You're a worrier. Guess what? You're a sin too. The Bible says to him that knows to do good and do it not to him, it's sin. Don't raise yourself higher than somebody else. We've got worry, perplexities in our minds. Many of us are driven by regret unforgiveness and anger, fear, and our past. These are the things that control the way we think and it affects our behavior. And so it don't matter how much church you have, it'll block it out. It doesn't matter how much you know God's word, it will block it out because whatever you consume, it will show in your behavior. And a Christian should not look like that. Let me... Can I tell you what my conference president said to me? He says, people do not want what you have unless it's working for you. I'm going to touch somebody and ask him, is it working for you? Come on in here, somebody. Is it working for you? Nobody going to want what you have if it's not working for you. You're talking to me about health reform and you're always sick and you're always down. you got no energy. Is it working for you? You tell me you want to be a part of my church? Well, when I come to your church, you mean just like everybody else. Is it working for you? This is no witness. Church folk that don't talk to family members. And it's known in the body of Christ. You're walking around in bondage. In my devotion the other day, I was reading about the, the, the family of Jacob. Huh? And, and you know, Laban uh, fooled Jacob huh? because Jacob was getting back what he did. Now watch this now. Laban tricked <laughs> Jacob into marrying Leah even though he was in love with Rachel. Come on, say amen, somebody. And you know what happened? He ended up working 20 years, not 14, 20 years and he ended up leaving with Aaliyah and Rachel. Come on, say amen, somebody. Oh, was it Rebecca? Was it Rachel? Yeah, it's Rachel. And so watch this now. The Bible says that after that, there was a war in the household of who can have the most children to win the affection of the man. And you know what, man? All my years, I have been so hard on Leah. I've talked about her eyes. 
I've dogged her. I've dogged Rachel and talked about the competitive spirit in that house. But then it hit me like a ton of bricks. When Jacob decided that he was going to leave Laban, no matter what happened, his daughter says, pick up your bags and whatever God tells you to do, dad, do it. And it hit me. You know why they behaved the way they did? Because of their father. They were sold to the highest bidder by their father. Now watch this now. Many of us are carrying bondage that we got from our parents. Generational curses. The way we treat folk. The way we handle conflict. The way we handle people that have made mistakes. The way we discipline our children. The way we conduct ourselves in our marriage. Stay with me right now. And understand this now. I've got news for you today from somebody who has been delivered that not even a generational curse is more powerful than God. God can break any stronghold. You have got to believe. There are church people that drive me crazy. Your life is not working for you. You call yourself a Christian, but you got all kind of issues and all kind. And I'm not saying that we should not have issues. I'm going to know all of us got some stuff in here. But I believe that in my weakness. He got to be strong for me. And we ought not make excuses for walking around in bondage. What consumes your thoughts? I'm telling you, whatever consumes your thoughts will dictate your life. I asked you the other night. I said, if a man cheats on his wife, if he practices adultery, is he a Christian? No, he is not. If somebody practices lying, are they a Christian? No, they are not. If somebody is covetous, practices covetousness and practices stealing and has other gods before, are they a Christian? The answer is no. Your life, Lord have mercy, has got to bear some fruit and the fruit starts in your heart and in your mind. If it ain't working for you, it ain't going to work for nobody else. Romans 12, 2. This is my wife's favorite scripture. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Come on in here, somebody. By the renewing of your what? Stop trying to change your behavior without changing how you think. And listen, let, come on, let's be honest in here. How many know you can't even change how you think? You got to have Jesus to get in your head to tell you how you should live. Oh, that mercy. I remember man, just this week, man, my computer was giving me all kind of grief. It was just acting a fool. Operating system was just was going crazy. And man, I got mad and and yes, I did. And man, I hit the computer. Can I get a witness out there? But then it hit me. I said, ain't nothing wrong with the, with the casing. There's something wrong with an internal operating system. <laughs> My computer is behaving badly. Not because of what it looks like. It's behaving badly because of what's on the inside. We need a transformation in our minds. And notice what the word of God says. It says, then you will be able to test. And approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Understand what the Bible just said. The Bible just told you that it is impossible for you to understand what God's will is unless there's been a transformation in your mind. That's true, man. That's right. That's right. Oh, yeah. Good one for me, man. Yes. Who says amen? amen? You ready now? Here the seven laws. Very quickly. I got to go through them quickly and I'm going to tie it down at the end. Are you ready for the seven laws of the mind? I said, are you ready for the seven laws of the mind? I want you to write these down. I have accompanying scriptures with them. Write these things down that you might share it with somebody. Come on, say amen. amen. I said, come on, say amen again. Amen. Seven laws of the mind. Here we go. Number one, the mind and body affect each other. Amen. The body will do what the mind tells it to do. 
Come on, say amen, somebody. All right, look what the scripture says. The Bible says in Proverbs 1430, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. I was reading a research document the other day, and it said the majority of people that are sick, and this is by, by Dr., uh, I think it's Dan C. Colbert, in his book, uh, Cures for the Mind, Deadly Emotions That Affect the Health. He said the number one factor that causes people to be sick, y'all better stay with me right now, people that get cancer and other things, he, he posits that the number one thing that causes people to stay in sickness is unforgiveness. He says unforgiveness is the most deadly emotion to have. It'll kill you. The way you think will affect your health. Would you say amen? Number two, the mind. I got to move. The mind adapts to what it focuses on. Oh, help me to preach this right now. Oh, the mind adapts to what it focuses on. Second Corinthians 3.18 tells us, and we all, help me everybody, we all who with what? Unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory or behold the Lord's glory. Watch this. Stay with me now. Are being what? So the Bible says we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So how does that take place? The transformation takes place by beholding the Lord's glory. Watch, watch what the Bible says. It says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being what everybody? Transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. Did you catch that? Which comes from the Lord who is spirit. So, so let, me, let, me, let me explain this. Basically what the word of God is saying is that by beholding, we become changed. There is a reason why a T.J. Lane will walk into a high school and shoot four of his classmates. There's a reason why a 13-year-old boy named Joshua in Detroit, Michigan will blow his mother's brains out. I want to tell you right now that that behavior is simply playing out a thought process that was, that was beheld, that was contemplated on. And let me just bring it on our street. If you consider negativity all the time, if you watch the Housewives of Atlanta all the time, can, can I tell you something? You are going to be a negative person. If you are always in gossip and always talk about what folks have done, you are not going to be a person who trusts and believes in the power of God. If you are a person, young person, and I told you this the other day, that listens to this, this, this demonic music. Don't tell me. And, and I told I, mean, I don't get it. I mean, I, mean, I, I did get it at some point. But, but I mean, like I see my kids now. and They're walking down the street. They got no headphones in their, he, no, in their head. And they're just talking to themselves. And they're just rapping. You know why? Because, and I've told you this before, there's nothing like a song. A song can bypass your pituitary gland and your choice mechanism in your brain and go right into your system. The best part of waking up. How many of you tried to learn that song? How many committed it to memory? Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. And this is one of the reasons why the enemy uses music to get into the heads of our children because it goes in without choice. You can't talk about hoeing around and, and talk about be this and talk about in that and don't think that that's not going to affect the way you are. And my parents, they're always dogging their kids. you just like your daddy. You ain't doing this. And you're always negative. How in the world? Thank God for the word world there, because I almost said something else. How do you expect your kids to be anything but negatively sorry when all you speak over their life is what they are not doing? How do you think your husband is going to respond to you and be the man of God that he, you want him to be when you're always telling him what he's not doing? Husband, how are you going to dog your wife all the time? You've got to speak Look, I'm not into the prosperity teaching, but I believe the word of God is true. That when we speak words, life and death is in the power of the tongue. We've got to learn that by beholding, we are changed. Number three, I got to move. The mind, hallelujah. Oh, I like this one right here. The mind. Oh, God is awesome. Small, genius God. The mind responds to what? Oh, yes, it does. 
Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. It says, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Did you hear that? What the, what the word of God is saying is, is if people don't have anything to live for or anything to look forward to, it will make their heart sick. Oh, help me to say this with kindness. There are many of us here right now who have settled for a mediocre life. Your life is average. And what you're going to tell me is, well, I'm educated. I went here. And? I ain't talking about education. I'm talking about difference making. What are you living for? What is there before you that's bigger than you? Some of the sickest people I know are selfish people. Only thing they can think of is themselves. The next meal. The next check. Check to check Christians. They live from spiritual check to spiritual check. They show up on Saturday or Sunday just trying to get the next meal. What is your life? What value do you have? If you have some hope, your mind will move and you'll be able to do incredible things. Number four, thoughts seek expression. Listen, I don't care who you are. And I don't care how bridled your tongue is. If you think stuff long enough, you're going to say it. Come on in here, somebody. Where my cussing folk at in here? Come on in here, somebody. The hands just went down. Ah, if you think about it long enough, it's going to come out. Lord have mercy. This is a law of the mind. Whatever you consume in your thoughts, it's going to come out of your mouth. The Bible says in Matthew 12, 34, the Bible says, uh, it says, you brood of vipers. How long can you who are evil say anything good? <laughs> For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Next, number five, thoughts follow words. Now, that's amazing. So watch this now. Thoughts produce words. And then after the words have been put out there, whatever has been spoken strengthens the thoughts. And I've, I've done this demonstration a thousand times. But I've brought James Whitehead up here. Some of you remember, I had him stand here. I said, stretch your arms out, James. Raise your hand, James. James, the big bald headed guy right there. And so I say, James, stretch your arms out. And then I say to James, James, I want you to say over and over again, I'm a weak man, I'm a weak man, I'm a weak man, I'm a weak man. And James, even though we know he ain't weak, come on, say amen. Nothing about, nothing about his anatomy says he's weak. Come on, somebody. But he kept saying, my, he said, I'm a weak man, I'm a weak man, I'm a weak man. And I walked up to him and with my pinky, I just, I touched his arm and his arm went down. Understand now, and if I would, I, I, I would even go so far as to ask you if you would have just clasped your hands together like this and, and take your two index fingers and stretch them apart and say, fingers come together, fingers come together, fingers come together, fingers come together. Say it over and over again. Maybe your fingers won't touch, but you'll feel a pull. You know why? God designed us so that when we say stuff, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy over our lives. And this is where I'm going to kick the butt of Satan for a negative talk. Discouraging talk. When you, I ain't going, I'll never be a vegetarian. I'm not going to do this. I, I can't do that. I'm not, I'm just not, I'm not going to be her friend. She not. Listen, all you've done is solidified what's already in your head. You have eliminated the power of God from moving in your life because you have already made a decision with your mouth. Can I go on? Matthew 24, 48 says, and this is in the context of the last days, but suppose that servant is wicked. 
Now notice why the Bible calls him wicked. And says to himself, that's why he's wicked. Because of what he says to himself. Hang with me. Hang with me, saints. I'm about to tie this thing down. It says, he says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. Now he ain't told nobody that. He didn't stand up in testimony service at church and say, I just want to thank God who was the head of my life and I just want to praise the Lord that he ain't, he's not coming yet. I'm going to take my time to get ready. No, he didn't say that. He said it to himself. And notice what happened. The Bible says, he says, master, my master is staying away a long time. And then what did he do? His mouth became a prophecy of what he did. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he's not aware of. And see, although many of us will stand up in church and say, oh, I'm looking forward to the coming of the Lord. In our hearts, we're really saying, please don't come, Jesus. I don't want you to come, Jesus. I'm still trying to do my thing. And you know what you, what's going to happen? Your life is going to exemplify how you think. Come on, I love God and you don't love people. You're a liar, the Bible says, and the truth is not in you. Come on, I'm just going to come to church, but I, I, I don't, I'm not going to fellowship with those people. Well, don't come. You can worship all by yourself. The purpose of church, as we know it, is that we might come together. But if you constantly allow people and relationship issues to stand in your way of your relationship with God, you will go to hell because you have already said it. Number six, mind has power to choose. Thank you, Jesus. God has given our mind the ability to make a choice. How many know God is not just treating us like some kind of uh, a, a robot. You, have, you can choose. Come on, say amen. How many know you got a choice up in here? You don't have to do nothing. I just couldn't take it anymore. But you still chose. Come on, say amen, somebody. Bible says in Galatians 6, 7, them folk ran me out of the church. You chose to leave. That's right. The Bible says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Can I break that down in the version you know? Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. Whatever you choose to sow into, you will choose to reap the consequences. You got to sow in the spirit. If you want to get something out of God, then invest in God. Number seven, and we're to almost to a close here, mental peace. And this is what we want. How many want peace? Come on in here, somebody. Talk to me now. How many want peace? The Bible says that God gives a peace. Now, 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 now. Can we dwell on this just for a second? A peace that passes all understanding. In other words, you will have peace when you probably should not. I don't know other way to explain it, but one of the things about a Christian is they're cool. Not in the worldly sense, but although all hell is breaking out around them. <laughs> David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He says, though men come against me like a foe. He said, I will not fear. Though an army break out against me. He says, though war. He said, yet in this will I be comforted. He said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that one thing will I seek out, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord. How many know you can be on your job and all hell around you? You can be in a hospital room and all hell around you. You can be on a car that's spinning out of control. But as long as you are in the presence of God, you can have peace. I'm just not in a good mood today. Why? Because they did something to me. That's your fault. I don't like that preacher. I don't like the way he operates. That ain't my fault. That's your fault. You're going to go to hell over me? I ain't worth it. Mental peace. 
How many want peace? How many are tired? I'm not over it yet. I'm just being honest. But I'm tired of letting what other, me and my wife were talking about this the other day. I'm tired of, of allowing the ugliness of other people to bother me. That does not make sense. Why am I going to let what somebody else is doing, even if they're doing it to me? Why should I allow what they're saying, what they're doing? My child ain't doing this. My husband ain't doing that. Church ain't doing this. Them folk, who cares? Who cares? Peace is a choice. And God said he will give you peace that passes all your understanding. But mental peace, oh Lord, depends upon obedience. Can I explain something very quickly and I'll go to my text? People ask all the time, what is my purpose in life? What does God call me? What is my destiny? These are the, these are the catchphrases nowadays. Can I tell you what it is? Yeah. To obey God every second. Many of us are trying to find out what does the Lord want me to do in seven years? Hey, 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 hey. Hey, I'm not against having a plan. Obey him now. Yeah. Right now. He talks to you on little stuff and you do not obey. Do you think he's going to exalt you and give you all this grandeur when he told you go and apologize to that person and you will not go when he told you accept that truth, keep my Sabbath holy? And you don't, he said, listen, this is purpose to obey God. And every time God speaks a word, watch this now, every time God speaks a word, it's like a path. And so he speaks a word and we take a step towards him. And then he speaks another word and we take another step towards him. And then he speaks another word and we follow him. And the Bible says in Revelation that every time he speaks, he says the people that are saved follow the lamb wherever he goes. He speaks and you move. And I like how the rapper said it. He says, when I move, you move just like that. God speaks the word, obey. God says, follow my commandments, obey. God says, apologize, obey. God says, give of your tithe, obey. God says, preach my word, obey. The will of God for your life is to obey. Obey. The Bible says that in Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way. Lord, help me to stop making dumb decisions. It says there's a way that seems right to a man. Uh, by the way, let me pause this for a second. You know, <laughs> there's a text of scripture in Hosea 4, 6. It says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, you know that knowledge is not intellectual knowledge. It's a lack of relationship knowledge. You mean to tell me you just, you think you're going to be comfortable all the way into the kingdom? That you're not going to have to make any changes in what you believe, any changes in how you see things, any changes on how you really, you know what you're saying? You're saying, I am ready to meet God. I don't have no changes to make. I'm fine the way I am. Everybody else needs to change. There's a way that seems right. ask a question. Uh, how long how long you gonna run from God? How long are you gonna be the sometimey church person? No, really, let's talk about this. What else needs to happen in this world to get your attention to say it's time for me to start following the Lord? I mean, for real. This is not preacher talk. This is not sermonic. This is not even in my notes. I'm just asking a question. What is it going to take for God to get through to you, for you to make a decision that I am going to obey God and Are you still making excuses? Look what the scripture says. Psalms 119.45 says, I will walk about in freedom. See, we think that the will of God, is, it, it binds us in. But the Bible says, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Yes. There's freedom in God's law. Would you say amen? Yes. 
Psalms 119.50 says, my comfort in my suffering is this. Your promises preserve my life. Oh, come on in here, somebody. And then Psalms 119.51 says, the arrogant mock me unmercifully, but I do not turn from your law. Lord Jesus. Psalms 119.52 says, I remember, Lord, your ancient laws. And even though I'm going through hell, I find comfort in them. Psalms 119.53 says, indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. But watch this now. Your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. Psalms 119.55 says, in the night, Lord. Come on, even at night. Come on, when you're, in your, when you're laying down. The last thing you watch on television is not Sports Center. Come on in here, somebody. But you go to bed with the word of God on your mind. And the Bible says, in the night, Lord, I remember your name. That I might do what, everybody? That I might keep your law. Psalms 119.56 says, this has been my practice. I obey your precepts. Finally, Psalms 119.164 says, I like this. He says, seven times a day. Y'all know seven is the number of perfection and completion. He's just saying all day long, I praise you. Why? For your righteous laws. And great peace. This is my mom's favorite scripture. Great peace have those who love your law and nothing can cause them to stumble. Who says amen to the word of God? I'm going to end this here. I won't bear to read the scripture again, but I want to make a few points. We've got to go back to our, our brother. Just give me two minutes to wrap this thing down. And so the word of God says that you got a sick man laying there for 38 years. One thing we know is that he was sick because he did not follow God's law. How can you say that, pastor? Because the word of God says that when Jesus found him in the temple after he was healed, he said to him, he said, stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. In other words, the reason why he was afflicted and paralyzed, unable to move, no progress, is because of sin. And the Bible says sin is the transgression of the law. Well, Jesus came to his way. And the Bible says Jesus ignored his condition and said to him, he said, get up. Huh? But before he said to him to get up, he asked him a mental question. He says, do you want to be healed? first point I want to make is that you in the process of change must start with a confrontation God comes to you and he asks the questions and generally they're not a questions of deeds but they're a question of how you perceive him do you want a closer walk with the Lord really then the word of God says that he ignored his excuses how many thank God today that he ignores our excuses <laughs> and the word of the Lord came to him and then God and when God heals he always gives commandments he always gives instructions and what did he tell him and he had a choice he says take up your mat and walk that is equivalent to the law of God in our lives when God gives us his commandments those commandments are given to help lift us out of the muck and mire of our broken paralyzed lives The Bible says that the man had, to, had, to, had some guts. He said, why not? I've been down here all this time. <laughs> I've not got a chance to get into the troubling of the waters. I'll never get there. Not knowing that amongst all those sick people, uh, Spirit of Prophecy says that the smell of death was in his nostrils. It was a dying place. But Jesus is standing in the midst of death. <laughs> Everything he needs is right before him. And instead of just doing what he's always done, he took a risk. He said, I'm going to obey what you said. And the Bible says that at the command of God's word, when he acted in faith on God's word, on God's commandments, God lifted him up. Come on, say amen. But you got to choose. You got to make a choice. You got to make a choice. The last point is this. There's always consequences. Go ahead, Michelle. There's always consequences to obeying God. Now, a lot of times when we talk about consequences, we only think of negative things. 
Do you realize <laughs> that there are consequences to being obedient to God? Can I tell you what they are? You'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when you come in, blessed when you go out. All that you will need, God's hand will supply. But it, it, it comes with a risk. I'm going to do what God says. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to make an appeal today. And I believe that you're calling people out of their paralyzed state. The thinking, the stinking thinking, God. 